Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Elise, host of this week's episode of Bookmarked and Dog-Eared. Every two weeks, we'll be having conversations with writers from all departments around SCAD. Today, we're sitting down with Sarita Briggs. Sarita is an MFA student studying dramatic writing. Previously, Sarita earned a degree in playwriting from Northern Kentucky University. You might know Sarita from around campus, as she's also the president and founder of SCAD's Elephant in the Room, a slam poetry group. In this episode, Sarita reads from a few of her poems and discusses her unique approach to the creative process. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Um, let's see. I came up, I brought so many things uh, <laughs> to read. Um, let's see. This next one is really interesting. This is a newer one. Ooh. It's a bit more musical. Um, it's the Ballad of Jezebel Blackgasm. Here we go. That string bass gaze was built for bedroom bebop girl. Got the whole block shook. Tricked Jimmy with her purple haze. Turned him red in the face. I heard that she got palms built like dinner tables. Make a rude boy mean what he say like Simon. Girl got that golden hymen. Gooseck who? Girl got that passion fruit salad. That belted ballad. That way snatched in like baby collar. Girl. Leave a bruise so navy blue you think it was black. Baby got back so soon like camera flash don't blink you'll miss her no men kiss her lips she leave i'm all burned in bliss made green contacts out her older sister switched her i mean picked one off the tree first jezebel been black jezebel been cursed girl got a gumbo pot brewing in a stomach jezebel been last jezebel been first girl got a pecan pie filling where her feelings used to be i heard her friend jimmy wasn't all he cracked up to be L.A. C.K. Hey, yo, queen, one second. One moment, please. Hey, yo, Slim, can I fit in them jeans? Would you do it for me? Pry them legs open wide. Stick my tail in between. Put my name in your teeth and my taste in your tea and my breath in your curls. Hey, yo, queen, one second. Hey, yo, Slim, you mean. Is your real name Jesse? Will you answer me then? Miss Jesse, Miss Jesse, Miss Jesse. Ballad of Jesse Bill Blackass. That's awesome. A lot of different characters in these people. Yeah. Keeps it interesting. This one is, I am an open stomach. I am an open stomach, excavated for uterine lines, left waiting and bloody, a ravaged womb with insides for suit and skin turned to tentacles, blue, venomous. I am a nappy-headed jellyfish, dead from swimming in the wet concrete. Oops. I am an open stomach, a neck. Twisted at the root, a brown infinity symbol with hands up begging, please don't shoot. Eyes, red awake lids, burnt to a crisp and cotton candy for brains that stick to the backs of my corneas. My mouth dissolved into the sugar. My voice burned alive. Gawk at me. Dip your fingers into my gashes, grow handfuls of ripped up organ, plunder what's left unborn and name them before they evaporate. Gosh, that one, that one always takes something out of me. <laughs> and now, a poem about my uterus. <laughs> Come on inside, the water's fine. I'm feeling worn, I'm, I'm feeling fine. My lines are ripe and green for seed. Green as it bleeds, your head it grips. Only so much of my program, your head it grips. Only so much of my program, you 
couldn't swim with me, even if you wanted to, even, even if your whole breath's even, even if you sidestep and retrace the rims you dreamt when, will you return to tend the land, broke the soil, shed your seed inside of me, you try birth the babies, you barely proceed, my lines are dry cleaned, exfoliated from gyrating abort missions, I can't afford your misperception, baby, remember, remember my lips, they choke and chain smoke off your apologies, your apologies, sorry, my fingers explode if they sit too close to your microwavable nodes, limp to be exact, as a matter of fact, you kept those in the back of your brain for safekeeping. Didn't think I'd know. Didn't think I'd figure out your passcode. Next, please. Next in line to shed my apology. Shed my apology. You don't deserve. Don't deserve my reds or my blues. Don't deserve my gloves or my shoes. You get your gun and straight man shoot. Get your gun and straight man shoot. Whoop. Gonna come inside while water's fine to sacrifice the mother freak who she can shake, shuck, and jive, shoot, and sip. Shed your shh. My uterus is very loud. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. This next one uh, kind of coincides, uh, speaking of uteruses and things that uteruses create, mm-hmm. here's one about something unborn. It's called Zuri. You made me so real. Made me your daughter. Made me a familiar voice, a laugh spinning against your cheek and a song swimming in the center of your chest. You gave me two pigtail puffs worth four city blocks apiece, bore me with a sunflower in my mouth and an orchid in my left palm, gave me eyes like the supermoon and fingers like piano keys. You stopped long enough to dream about me. We'll meet again. Press palms, whisk eggs, and lay edges soon enough. Tie ball balls and barrettes. Forget our surroundings and laughter. Race to bus stops with mismatched socks. All eight of those uncombed blocks. You'll sweat bullets the first day. You move my fingers and form the letters in my name. Z-U-R-I spells love. And I am not spilled on the floor. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Now for something a bit more fun and fast paced. <laughs> so it's kind of like a protest piece, oh. um, which is another. Yeah, it's a it's another very important part of what I do. Mm. It's called faded. I've become a kraken. A siren with eyes glowing red for your lust and lips closed shut. I see you riding waves without your surfboard, hurtling straight for my bantu knots, reaching for the rocks to crash your bones. I watch till all your trends are bored and left in store to strip me down like mannequin in the window, void of a soul. I dare you to imitate my mold, crush my cheekbones into gold and snuff remaining dust till your noggin rolls off and starts speaking of onyx like first language. Who? Who says I need permission to wear my hair this loud? You? No, sir. No neighbors around. I refuse to tone it down. No, ma'am. I'm not on the menu. But if I'm out to be chewed, won't you taste my hypothalamus? Set your palate for my limbic system. Graze it along the edge of your tongue till it tastes like sugar. Dissolves into a single cell and travels up your spinal cord. Let it speak for you. Let it do that black girl magic you wish so bad you could do. You mad, boo? Play with fire and lose. Found your eyes rolling back through your consciousness crack while all your darker skinned wet dreams fade, too. Wow, thank you. That's so powerful. Yeah, thank you. This is like, 
it, it's weird because so many of these pieces I, I haven't read for quite some time. So it, yeah. it feels new for me too. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Did you bring um, more or would you like to? I have, how many do I have? I have three more. Okay. Two of them are short. Awesome. And the last yeah. one is maybe maybe a little, maybe about two minutes, two to three minutes. I love um, it. This one is Brown Girl Blue. Brown Girl Blue, hip roll beneath the dozen red balloons. She do that swoon June, that jerk jive, that new coon. She looked too good, too blue for black casket. She knew to think twice for bending backwards on that backbeat. She a seven pound fifth heartbeat with a heart shaped face, green arms like boa constrict you with them. Almond eyes that always get you. See her lips purse forward for a suitor like you. She gon' buckle and brace the back of your neck and drunken waltz. Ain't your fault she wants you. That's brown girl blue. And her sister, this one's called Popsicles. I'm never high as fudge, just weird as split banana bits with a half cup of sense whisked in. Since six years young, I've been set in my ways like motions on hair rollers. This is an ode to my baby hair bristles, how I swooped and squiggles for I sucked fried chicken little off the clucking gristle, whistled while I murked toilet water with doo-doo. Stop it. No, you did too, too. Hit that susu in tennis shoes, K-Swiss to be exact. Ran bases and back, broke bread like break beats. I'd breathe. Lavender tea. Sneeze at freshly cut grass, stained up on boot cut jeans, knees deep in lake water. Now scream, Jesus reaches. We baking so bad, please freeze us. You know, popsicle stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and this last one is one that I'm uh, kind of known for. Um, it's very much a traditional slam poetry piece. People request that I do this one all the time. And it's called Whoopi. They would call me Whoopi every single day of my eighth grade honors English class for three reasons. I was black, I was a chick, and they thought I was funny. For most of the school year, I was the only black chick in the class until I was the only black anybody in the class. It was the year I realized that it was possible for a black chick to be funny on purpose, that I could recycle the mask of a clown into a protective skin, that I finally could receive laughter as something other than a casualty. They would call me whoopee because Whoopi Goldberg's only like the funniest black chick ever. Like, shouldn't you be flattered? You're black like sister act, not black like a sada, like white hating fist forming terrorist, not black like blood gripping into the contours of a noose. You're comfortable black, comfortable black as in not black like nuisance, not black like target practice. They would call me whoop and I loved it because it was safe. Because if I had to be the only black anybody in a room full of antibodies, I would have rather been safe. Ms. Hawkins taught me many things that year, but English certainly wasn't one of them. She taught me how to spot underestimation's face, how it arches its brow and protrudes its lip, daring you to challenge the way it regurgitates your name, how it cocks its gun and spits in your direction like a trespasser to your own tongue, waiting for you to choke. Now, when she finally gets me in detention, she looks at me like a first of the month check that she hadn't been getting for the past three 
her smirk is one that says, thank God we give detentions for chewing dub. Otherwise, we would have missed a spot. She holds my gaze from her desk as if I am a hunting prize, another black head on its way to be plucked from the face of her Aryan honors English roster. Her gaze is a bullet plundering the flesh of my chest cavity saying, no matter how many times they call you whoopee, you still a nigga and she is too. Shoo. We'll show our teeth for now. We will let you dance this time. We will accommodate your existence's punchline for the time being, but when we're through, we will put you in a box. We will throw away the key. We will sign the words, next please, on your tombstone and clap off the dust like grave diggers do. Thank you. That's all I got. Thank you so much for sharing those. Thank you. Thank you for the time. (laughs) So just like getting into this, who are people, writers, or creatives that inspire you? Oh, God, that list is living and ongoing. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll mention some of my favorites for today. Uh, certainly Susan Laurie Parks, Kendrick Lamar, No Name. Let's see, who else? Lucille Clifton. Who else? Uh, Sonia Sanchez. Portia O, so many, Um, and and people who aren't necessarily like traditionally considered poets, but who I'm absolutely obsessed with, people like Jimi Hendrix, um, Bad Brains, which is a a Black punk group that I'm obsessed with. Um, Those are my favorites for today. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting, too, that you bring up musicians because watching you and listening to you perform those poems, like there's such a theatric behind it. And it's um, it really adds to it. I I was just well hearing you say that it, it just sort of reminded me of how interconnected my art really is. Um, people always ask me what I fell into first. Right. Because they're they're trying to figure out whether it's poetry or whether it's music or whether it's theater or whether it's, and, and I just tell them it's all of it, you know, because um, I, I was a theater kid and at the same time I was a poet and at the same time I was, you know, in singing lessons and, and in band and uh, I was, gee, I guess <laughs> considering all of that, I was, I was in all the different uh, things that were considered weird or quirky or nerdy. But uh, but I didn't mind it because it felt like home. Oh, yeah. I think that's so important. And they're all so connected. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think where I come from, all of these different things are, are connected. Um, just being in a Black body, I think I just intrinsically understand all the different modes of expression that make up the culture that I'm a part of, Mm -hmm. you know, we've, we're people who have depended on music to survive, who've depended on song to survive poetry. Um, It's just in the blood. It's just in the DNA. And, um, and it's not saying that every black person has to be a poet. Right. But it's, it's just saying that, 
there's a richness in the culture and, and a heritage there that um, is just inescapable and, and interconnected at all times. Yeah. Do you find it easier to be inspired by what's going on in the world, whether it be now or just regardless, anything that happens in the world, or is it more difficult, do you think, to feel more creative? Huh. That's an interesting question because it's forcing me to think about how I create. Um, here's the thing. I, I hardly ever go into anything I make with the mindset of, oh, here's this thing that's happening and I need to respond to it. Like I need to have something to say about it. I think at one point in time when I was like early on in, in my, I guess, career, can I say that now? I have a career. Um, it, it just felt like, oh, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing because this is what poets should do. But as I, um, <laughs> as I grew up a little bit and became a bit more comfortable with who I am and how I take up space, with my art form, it became less about, oh, I have to have something to say about this thing. And it became more about, well, what is this thing about? I'm just genuinely curious about who's involved in this topic, who's involved in this thing. Why do they feel the way they do? I think it's people. I, I'm obsessed with characters. I'm obsessed with um not so much themes and things and headlines and honestly things that I don't think are human, but just the human element within that. Um, and what people are saying at dinner tables and, um, yeah, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, kind of going off of that, can you describe your process for brainstorming and writing your poems, what that kind of looks like? Oh God, chaos, <laughs> complete chaos. <laughs> because it, it never comes in this neat linear way. But but I think that works for me because my brain works that way. My brain is so non-linear. Really? It's uh it's a lot of dancing. Oddly enough, I spend a lot of time in my room with the door closed, just moving. <laughs> But I, but I have to do that before I write because it, it just gets me out of myself. Um, and it gets me out of my head and it gets me into something real. Mm. And, um, and once I've done that, then it's easier for me to sit down to a page and just reassociate and just see what comes out and, and see whoever wants to speak today. Um, and so I guess the follow-up question to that is like, okay, whoa, like, <laughs> do you hear voices? And it's like, I mean, it sounds insane. And maybe if I thought, if I was on a therapist couch, I would sound like a complete nut job. But <laughs> the short answer is, yeah, I got to. Hmm. I got to. That's what the poem is. Yeah. Wow. That's a really. I feel like more people should dance before they sit down to do some work. <laughs> it's good for the soul. It is yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you? decide whether a piece should be performed or just kind of stay written? That's a really great question. And one that I wish I had this pretty 
a poetic sort of answer for, but I, uh, I'm thinking about it and I'm not sure. And, and it's weird because I'm, I'm having these pauses because I, I, I think I'm having an epiphany myself right now. <laughs> I'm not sure anything I write is really just for the page. Mm. Everything that uh, I've always seen the page as a, as a conduit for a conduit to three dimensional space mm. because I'm obsessed with sound. I'm obsessed with finding meanings in sound and, and using sounds to, to sort of carve out space, whether that takes the form of a play or maybe a song or something else that just has to take up three-dimensional space. I just listen to it over and over and over and over again until it makes sense to me what this thing is trying to be. Mm. It's like a mother of many things and, <laughs> and every child that comes to you is going to have different needs and, and different whims, but um, it requires a patience. Yeah. Sometimes that drives me nuts. And sometimes it works out. what made you choose slam poetry and like what do you prefer about it versus other mediums Hmm, I guess by other mediums do you mean like other mediums of writing how'd you get into the I guess performing aspect of slam poetry versus if you were just writing poetry just to write it yeah I, I think there's a a bit of a story to that. I, um, in the beginning, I, I was sort of just writing just to write as, as this therapeutic thing. I was maybe about 14, 15 at the time. Um, and just really dealing with how difficult it can be when you're that young to, to not really feel like you know where you belong or where your people are. And um, the notebook, the page was the only thing that made sense to me when I was that young. And so I would just confide in it. And, and, they were th- and they started out as things that I didn't even recognize as poems at the time, just things that I longed to say out loud. And, and all these little snappy comebacks that I wish I had said <laughs> when, when so-and-so came at me and made fun of me the other day. Right. And... Um, did all of that in, uh, in, during an English class that I was taking at the time, because every English class has some sort of poetry unit. And I decided mm-hmm. that I was going to read mine out loud for this assignment that we had to do. Just went for it. Got up in front of the class and went for it. It was scary and it was silent. And after about a beat, there's this random kid in the back of the class going, yo, she's dope. And like, just the class erupting in, in applause. And it was the one reaction I did not expect. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was uh, my jumping off point. It's like, oh, this is a thing I can do that feels like me and, and gives me an excuse to really connect and relate to other people. Well, that classmate is definitely an interesting, you know, kind of audience experience, but I'm curious if you've had any other interesting interactions during or after performing that you care to share. 
It's different every time, that's for sure. <laughs> but that's uh, <laughs> part of the fun of it. Um, Cause that's the chaos factor in it all. You can rehearse a piece so many times and, and, um, and have it locked in your mind and your body and your voice. But the audience is the wild card at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Trying to think if there are any particularly weird or funny instances. Um, nothing, you know what? Nothing in particular, but I have been called out of the audience several times, like moments where I was just sitting there in a coffee shop, minding my own business. And then like this homeless dude stumbles into the shop and goes like, you, you need to read something and you need to read something. And I'm just like, how do you even know that I I write things? How do you even know that I'm here to do that? I've had several just weird quasi moments like that. Um, Touching on sort of what you just talked about, do you find that you rehearse a lot before you would go and perform or do you leave some of it up to how the audience's energy is when you're up there performing? It's gotta be a little bit of both. Yeah. Cause there is a healthy amount of preparation that has to go into it. I never like to, I like to be deliberate about my choices and what I mean by that is, you know, how I want to take up space, how I want to hold my body, my body language, uh, my voice and different distortions with that. I always want to be deliberate about that. But I, but the things that I never practice uh, too much are things like pauses mm. because you never really know what line an audience is going to hook onto sure, yeah. or want to hold onto for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think that's the only thing I don't rehearse. Nice. So you use the phrase brilliantly strange on your social media. Can you describe what that means to you? Yeah, that's a a phrase I've used to, I've used to describe myself uh, quite a bit. It's interesting now because it, it feels like, so long ago when I, when I came up with that, but, uh, but basically it was just a way for me to make sense of this whole concept of being other. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, if it's one thing I know, it's what it's like to be, uh, the anomaly in, in a lot of different situations, whether that be the only black kid in a situation, the only black woman in a situation, uh, the only, only one who's into this weird, obscure television show that no, that no one's uh, that no one else is watching, or seems like no one else is watching but me. Yeah. But uh, and as minute as that particular example is, it's just saying that all the different things that make me an other are purely in my head, you know, and purely in the heads of other people, and it's. It's not real unless I decide to make it real. And it's not strange unless I decide to make it strange. But even if it is strange, why not? Right. Isn't there something beautiful and interesting about that as well? Right, right. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Gets me through. Yeah. 
So you've touched on the performing aspect and sort of how you've gone into the slam poetry, but how did you realize you wanted to pursue writing? How did you get into writing? Wow. Not too much longer after that classroom incident, actually, because shortly after that, that experience, it was the springboard into me getting into something called the Governor's School for the Arts. Uh, in the creative writing program where I studied under folks uh, who are a part of the Afro-Latin Poets, which is this uh, really great writing collective based in, in the Appalachian region that includes former Kentucky Poet Laureate Frank X. Walker and Nikki Finney and Kelly Norman Ellis and so many others. Anyway, um, it was the first time I had been in a room full of people who saw me, heard me, and just got it. And was like, great, you know you're <laughs> here, you know, what do you want to do about that? What do you want? And, and I remember being in tears because one of my mentors from that program asked me that question specifically. She's just like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I know that I can do this thing and I'm kind of good at it. And then she's like, great, now what? And I spent the rest of that program just, um, you know, listening to them and learning from them and doing all of these different types of writing and trying them on for size and going, oh my God, like, I, I want to do this. I do want to do this. This is what I want. I want my life to feel like this, you know? Yeah. That's really awesome that you got kind of the freedom to try new things and feel the support and all of that. Yeah. Uh, I always say, thank God for the folks who see things in us before we see it in ourselves, you know? It's powerful. Wow, I love that. <laughs> That's so powerful. <laughs> yeah. So you got into obviously writing and poetry at a pretty young age and kind of stuck to it, which is awesome. How has your work changed from now to then and what about it has stayed the same? Hmm. That's a really great question. Hmm, what's different? I think some of the more obvious things that are different, I'm, I'm more confident mm-hmm. in what I have to say and, and how I say it. I think when I was younger, I, I struggled quite a bit with feeling like I had to sound like, uh, sound like Nikki Finney, or I had to sound like Maya Angelou, or I had to sound like, you know, insert... And Tazaki Shange or how many others here, but um, now it's very much like, you know, yeah, fuck genre, excuse my language, excuse my English, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but what is that, right? Um, If it, if it comes from me and it feels like home and it, and it sounds like me, then it is me. Um, So that's different. I wasn't always that sure of myself when I was younger. Um, What else is different? Uh, More 
concrete in my choices, not using so many abstract words to, to, to say things. Um, what's the same? What's the same? I think the persistence, the persistence is the same. Even before I understood that this was something I wanted to contribute to the world as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a profession, um, there was always something that persisted with, with the craft and with the art form because nothing else felt nothing else felt like I fit or like I belonged, but this did, this was the one thing that did. And, um, and I've protected that even in the wake of well-meaning family members and friends and acquaintances who go, are you sure? Are you sure that's you? Are you sure that's what you want to do? Um, you know, the, my, my, sure, my sureness of self has, has wavered in terms of, I guess, my, my actual craft itself, but it's never wavered in terms of how much I felt it was a part of me and how much I felt it needed to be a part of me. Um, if that makes any sense, it makes sense in my mind. I'm not sure if the words are coming together. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I think as, you know, in the creative career and industry, I think so many people have that moment of when people ask them, is this, can you really make a career out of this? Is this really going to have you be successful? Um, There's so much doubt in it from a lot of people, but I think it's starting to change. I think people are starting to see, oh, hang on, this is real. This is powerful and important. Yeah, especially in the times we're living in now. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and we're told to stay home. We're in this state of, we're all like living in this collective state of isolation. But the things that we're leaning on to survive are art, right? Different forms of it, music, television, film, um, literature, (laughs) literally so many things yeah and it's it's refreshing and it's vindicating so many people that were doubting me before are realizing oh my god I can't live without this thank you for what you do absolutely is there anything about writing or poetry or the professional careers of any of those that have surprised you it surprised me how well how well it all came together (laughs) if that makes sense because I'm in a place now yeah it's weird I'm in a place now where I'm getting ready to graduate right and Mm -hmm. so I should be feeling all of the anxiety that comes along with that and um just figuring out, okay, what's next? Where am I going to go? Who's going to hire me? Should I just hire myself? What's going on? Um, And then also the pandemic, the economy, what? Um, But 
I'm so grateful to be in a place now where I can honestly say that I followed my gut. I followed what felt right. I followed what felt good. And that includes, you know, the different opportunities that I've had since being at SCAD, the different relationships that I've I've formed. It was never about forcing anything or trying to force myself into a space that I felt wasn't for me or didn't feel authentic. Um, It's always been about authenticity. And because of that, I'm reaping the benefits of that now where I, I have this one woman show that I've been pouring myself into for the past two and a half years. And now there are opportunities that are already beginning to open up for me to produce it on a larger scale. Oh, wow. And um, and I can't say too much about it now. But what I can say <laughs> is... Um, yeah, it, it's just, it feels good. It feels really good. And, and it's all just, and I didn't have to force it. That's the part that's just blowing my mind. I just did what was right for me and it worked. That's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, that's a really great place that I think we can end this here. And I just wanted to, you know, have the last say to you, if there's anything else that you just wanted to say in general, you know, to whoever um, is ever listening or whoever, you know, you want to talk to. Wow. Well, um, first and foremost, just thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this space for me to even be here and share what I, what I have to share. So thank you. Um, you for coming and for anyone who, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, this was so fun. I, I, I was looking forward to this all week long, really. Me too. And, uh, yeah, it's just cool. I don't, I don't get spaces like this too often, but, um, to anyone out there who's, who's listening, just, if there's a voice in your head telling you, mm, this is right or mm, this isn't right, listen to it. It's there for a reason. And I promise you it pays off. I really, really do. That's, that is awesome. That is going to sit with me. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarita and hearing some of her work. I wanted to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Check back again Friday, November 20th for the second episode with Nicole Barley, a filmmaker and writer who recently had a short film premiere at the New York Liftoff Film Festival and the National Film Festival for Talented Youth.